FDBHDD is reminding Georgians to ask their doctor about alternatives to opioid pain medication. Alternatives such as over-the-counter medications and physical therapy can be used to manage pain. More information at opioidresponse.info. Welcome to Speakeasy with Deneen, a podcast from Georgia Public Broadcasting. I'm your host, Deneen Milner. Each episode of Speakeasy focuses on a one-word topic, and we dive into the many ways it affects the African-American community. On this episode, the topic is freedom. Just a note, you'll hear some explicit music on today's show that absolutely is not suited for little ears. On Speakeasy with Deneen, I've introduced you to my two daughters, Lila and Mari. Now that they're older, my lessons are less mom-to-daughter instruction and more woman-to-woman, heart-to-heart discussions. I've been talking to them a lot about freedom, specifically what it means to be a free Black woman in a society that goes out of its way to tell us what to do and how to be, all while holding its foot on our necks. I want my girls to know that they have the freedom to decide what they want to do, how to do it, and who they want to give their energy to, and especially that they have the right to color all outside the lines. This is a lesson I'm just starting to learn myself as a newly single woman living on my own for the first time in more than two decades. That word is so incredibly important to me that I actually had the word free tattooed on my wrist. It's a constant reminder that my capacity to love, work hard, and have empathy must extend to myself first. There's a fine line between love and hate to see. Came way too late, but baby, I'm on I have the freedom to do what's right for me, what feels good to me, and to be strong in my insistence that I care for and about myself in a way that is deeply gratifying, in a way that makes me happy, no matter what anyone else has to say about it. Outcast had it right in their hit Liberation, which is the centerpiece of my Freedom Songs playlist. That's the ultimate freedom right there. We're going to break format today and spend our entire episode with one guest. This is someone who uses his voice to elevate the conversation of freedom in a big way. The end of the Reagan era. I'm like Lemma 12 Old enough to understand the shit that changed forever. They declared the war on drugs, like a war on terror. But what it really did was let the police terrorize whoever. But mostly black boys, but they would call us niggas. And lay us on our belly while they fingers on their triggers. They That's Atlanta-based artist Michael Rinder, known as Killer Mike. With rapper and producer LP, Mike is one half of the group Run the Jewels. The song you're hearing is Reagan, released on Mike's 2012 album, R.A.P. Music, which LP produced. The R.A.P. in the title stands for Rebellious African People. Killer Mike has been a vocal defender of the free speech and rap music, which has been challenged in the courts. 
In 2019, he joined an amicus brief in a case involving Pennsylvania rapper Jamal Knox, who was convicted for threatening police in one of his songs. In 2012, Knox and another rapper wrote a song after the pair had been arrested on gun and drug charges. One of the lyrics is, quote, let's kill these cops because they don't do us no good, end quote. The song identifies the arresting officers by name. Both of the men behind the song were criminally charged and sentenced to prison. Now, Jamal Knox argued they were protected by the First Amendment. A chorus of artists, including Killer Mike, urged the U.S. Supreme Court to take up the case. The Hyde Court declined. Mike says Jamal's rights were violated. He used his voice, because a lot of times you get angry, you just need to go in a room and yell, uh, to protest. And in it, he named the cop. Now, what are the chances that this boy can really track down a cop and find him and kill him? But still, he was prosecuted and, 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 and in jail. So right now, if you're a famous rapper, if you're Killer Mike, you can make a song like Reagan and not really much worry about prosecution. But if you're a kid just from around the corner and you make a song that the government decides for whatever reason they don't like, you can be prosecuted. You can be put in jail. And um, I fear things like hate speech laws. I fear things like politically correct laws because what they do is give you a prettier cage to be put in. I spoke with Killer Mike at his Atlanta barbershop called The Swag Shop. He co-owns it with his wife, Shay. The concept of freedom weighs heavily on Mike every day. You're 55 years into freedom. Mm -hmm. You're 55 years into the experiment that America promised. That means that um, freedom is only 11 years older than me. And I do not trust any, any republic to take care of me better than me. Now, you can recognize my human rights, you can recognize my constitutional rights, but you cannot take better care of me than my family. No one can take better care of me than my grandparents did. No one can feed me naturally off the earth like my grandfather did. No one can defend my household like my grandfather did. And if I don't live up to that standard, then I am not the man he raised me to be. Talk to me about hip hop and how freedom works with the music that you've created, the sounds that you've created, the words that you say in, in that music, because I grew up in an era, yeah. I'm 50. Yeah. I grew up in an era Oh man, look where... at Black Don't Crack for real, man. <laughs> I ought to get you for 30-something. I'm 50, That's a blessing. and I was there as a journalist when they were running over, you know, tape cassettes with mm-hmm. bulldozers. Yeah, 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 Tipper Gore, shouts right, out to C. Dolores and Tucker. C. Dolores Tucker, yeah, and the uh, NAACP oh, was out God there. Oh, God bless our why they get it wrong so many times. So talk to me about about the growth. The same people that I had that that had heralded themselves as revolutionaries and standing next to Dr. King and standing next to people supporting like um, the SELC were the same people that once in authority became oppressors of freedom of speech because they didn't like the fact that rappers cursed to talk sexually explicit or said things that they didn't agree with. Some of these people were just charlatans. I didn't, you know, I knew Reverend James Orange. You know, he never spoke with Miss, you know, Tucker than me in terms of somebody's acting me on the campaign. Like James Orange was such a wonderful man. He didn't like my name, Killer Mike. He, he called all young black men leader. He refused to call me killer. But he never would call for a censorship of me. He never would have said, this kid shouldn't have this name. I didn't even name myself that. Um, I saw freedom of speech challenged and defended by Luther Campbell. Don't stop, pop that pussy, let me see your doo-doo brand. Luther Campbell, a.k.a. Uncle Luke, was a controversial rapper and producer out of Miami. 
he was known for hits like I Wanna Rock. As the leader of the rap group Two Live Crew, Uncle Luke created explicit and sexually charged music that sparked nationwide protests from the likes of Tipper Gore, the wife of former U.S. Vice President Al Gore, and black civil rights leaders like C. Dolores Tucker. Two Live Crew was sued over its album As Nasty As They Wanna Be. Ultimately, the case was overturned by a higher court. And then an obscenity trial followed. Harvard University professor Dr. Henry Louis Gates represented the group in that case. And all of the group's members were acquitted. Killer Mike says Uncle Luke was a huge inspiration in his quest to defend freedom of speech. And I tell people often that Luther Campbell and Larry Flint have been as important in my life in terms of understanding and recognizing my constitutional right of free speech as Martin or Malcolm ever were. Um, I let people know it matters of me and my freedom. I'm not trying to be your leader. I'm not trying to be righteous or a preacher. I want my freedom because I like smoking marijuana and going to strip clubs with my wife. And I don't want you to have an opinion on that, right? You know, Noam Chomsky says that if you do not believe in freedom of speech for those of you who despise, you do not believe in the concept at all. You know? And so when people call me in April and say, Mike, the Ku Klux Klan going to march at Stone Mountain, we gonna go protest? Absolutely not, I'm gonna have a barbecue. What are you talking about? <laughs> I don't like them, I don't agree with what they say, but I live in a country in which they have the right to say it. You understand right. what I'm saying? Right. And I defend that right for right. them and myself, because if they're robbed of that right, then I'm next. Killer Mike says he's thinking about the freedoms of current and future generations of artists. His Atlanta roots run deep, and Mike says he grew up in a totally black city. He was born in Atlanta's Adamsville neighborhood on the city's west side. His barbershop, where we're meeting, sits in Atlanta's Edgewood neighborhood. You can't miss it. My grandparents were my age. This neighborhood um, was one of the most rich and prosperous neighborhoods for African-American ownership and African-American business right. in the world. Right. All right, this is the Auburn Edgewood Avenue. This is where the first mayor of Atlanta, 1972-73, Manor Jackson's grandfather, John Wesley Dobbs, um, people like Alonzo Herdigan on the um, Atlanta Life Insurance Company, they ran right. this district, right. you know, fourth floor black. And then um, with desegregation and with integration and the black dollar leaving this community, um, a lot of us abandoned this community. And with 70s and 80s, what you saw, you saw drug addiction cripple people in this neighborhood and it kind of get decimated. And then uh, you find what once was the holy grail of the black dollar and the standard of self-sustainability became a place of ill repute of drug usage. The neighborhood became depressed. And what came out of that were the children of the people that once owned these buildings, owned these stores and stuff, kind of flighted out to the suburbs, mm -hmm. left it abandoned. And now it has been come up and bought, some by blacks, some by whites, some by developers. And it is not what it used to be, but it is still a place where young business people, both black, white, gay, straight, different nationalities can come here and actually start. Mm -hmm. It's a place of opportunity still and has been for 100 years. Right. And, um, I'm proud to be a part of that tradition. I think my grandfather's spirit is somewhere out there looking and proud of me because this is where he would drive me through and tell me this is, you know, this is where we went to the club. This is where we ate. This is so I'm proud to be here. Understanding Mike's appreciation of being free traces back to his grandparents. 
Who raised me? Who raised you? Oh, man, Betty Clutch and Willie Sherwood gave up the rest of their lives. I, I told someone, um, I told my grandmother once, I said, this, is, this isn't fair. And she said to me, life ain't fair. I'm raising you, damn it, but I love you. <laughs> <laughs> my mother decided she wanted to have a child at 15 years old, and she did so at 16. Abortion had been legal a couple of years. She was given the option of having an abortion. She chose to walk around proudly in Frederick Douglass High School, even though they asked her to leave school. Um, so my first year in her belly was spent in the same high school I later graduated from. Same teachers that taught me in her belly taught me later. So my mother and daddy, Denise and Michael, but the, my parents, my grandfather and grandmother, Willie and Betty, were the people that raised me. Okay. Um, you were also influenced by, I read, James Orange and Asa Hilliard. Yeah. Tell me about them. Asa Hilliard by proxy. Asa Hilliard um, is an Egyptologist and was a professor at Clark Atlanta University. Atlanta's unique in a way for the last 50 years. My high school's 50 years old, I think. Um, Atlanta, after, after passing the Civil Rights Bill, after more blacks moved into the city, and essentially um, over from the 50s through the 70s gentrified and took the West Side themselves. Mm -hmm. A number of their schools were renamed for black educators and emancipators, new schools and old ones. So the old South Fulton High School um, is now Jean Charles Young Middle School. Jean Charles Young is the late wife of Andrew Young. Mm -hmm. um, Frederick Douglass High School was a new build. It was led by Lester Buss and N.W. Hill, um, Dr. Samuel Hill. Benjamin E. Mays was our rival. Mm -hmm. Of course, Benjamin E. Mays was a high school, but also the former president of Morehouse right. um, College. So it was a very unique environment to come up in. In the early 90s, Asa Hilliard, after people like Chanta Diop, Dr. Ben, of course, John H. Clark, had done, gone through just hell and high water to prove that actually Egyptian pharaohs were black. Kemet was, you know, uh, was, a, was a place in Africa before it was the, the, called Egypt and things of that nature. So it was important that black children identify themselves on the face of world history. Um, he came up with a curriculum that one of my teachers, Ms. Baraki, taught world history, um, was able to go to, learn from, and bring back into the public school system. And that made Egypt go from a paragraph in the world history book to, a, to, an, to an entire um, opening and awakening of children's minds. So by proxy, Asa Hilliard was a teacher, but direct, directly Reverend James Orange, at the same time, about the, you know 1990 or so, um, became my direct mentor. Um, I organized. Um, with the Atlanta Fulton Commission on Children and Youth with a group called Kids for Change. Um, members of that board had the foresight enough to know people like Lucy Vance, Jean Charles Young, um, Judge Bradley Boyd, um, and my direct mentor, Alice Johnson, had the foresight to understand that if you're going to organize on the behalf of someone, that someone should be organizing with you. Mm -hmm. So I was a child member of the board, essentially, and we organized right up there on 100 Edgewood Avenue, um, back when this was a much rougher, different type of area. And we organized on the behalf of kids in Atlanta to get to make sure that at that time Mayor Andrew Young understood that these are the things that we expect out of Atlanta and Fulton County. Mm -hmm. And this is how you can improve the county, improve the schools and live condition of children by letting us to have active participation in local policy. Um, I went on from that to become an organizer of kids and James Orange, who was formerly who, well, who was SCLC and formerly directly organized with and under Dr. King taught me how to organize, yeah. you know, and yeah. to this day, his, his wife is like a mother to me, his children are like sisters and brothers. Um, he, men like Walter Cleveland, people like Alice Johnson, Mr. Edward Johnson, no relation, who taught at Mays, invested in me, a whole village invested in me, mm -hmm. and um, I, I'm appreciative of that. Is that where you learned how to speak freely? 
I've, well, I've never had a problem the, speaking. Where, but where does that come from? Okay, because look, I was raised <laughs> by two Southerners, yeah. right? My mother's from South Carolina. Yeah. My dad's from Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> my mom believed deeply in children are to be seen, not heard. Yeah, yeah, I right? heard that. That theory. is a very Southern thing, right? Yeah, I heard that theory. So <laughs> what, 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 what worked differently in your home, in your Southern home? Nothing. I got the shit popped out of me. <laughs> <laughs> my grandfather. Um, I suspect that probably he or his father left when he was. Um, I don't think he met his father when he was nineteen. So he dropped out of school in third grade to make sure his sisters could be educated and he worked. But he was a very kind and gentle man in terms of how he raised us. Now, it wasn't him, you know, in the world. He was a take-no-shit guy. Mm -hmm. But how he raised us, he was open to listen. He just say, mm-hmm, you know, I think it should be like this, Grandpa. Mm-hmm, yeah, you know. <laughs> so he gave me an opportunity. I remember when I first read the autobiography of Malcolm X and, coming in and just shouting, you know, black people not ready, we need to do this, and granted, why are you not upset on me? Just you know, look at me, just smile, like y'all, you know, black folk ain't ready, son. And you know, I never understood what he said till, you know, I, I pop up and, and realize, oh, to be ready, you have to grow your own food. You have to, you have to cycle your dollar in your own community. You have to be willing to defend your community. That's what ready is, you know, otherwise you're just complaining very loudly. So I got it, but he allowed life to, you know, he just gave me the, now my grandmother was a little more direct, you know, her, her thing was, you know, a child, you stay in a child's place. So we were liberal in the household and that my sisters and I, if it was truth, we could curse, you know, if the day was going like shit, we could say the day is going like shit, but I couldn't say lie in my grandmother's house. That was an abomination. And to say a lie to an adult or in reference to an adult got you slapped was, in the that mouth. Was grounds yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> you know, I, my grandmother was a little more authoritative and, but you know, her mother, you know, was very, very Southern, very, because I knew my great-grandmother as well, you know, so I think that she tried to be a little more lenient with me and my sisters because her mother had been so firm with her. But, you know, you could talk, but it was just that you understood there's freedom of speech, but there are consequences too. So, yeah, I got hit a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I expressed myself a lot. So right. I don't know where... I think my grandparents not limiting me encouraged it, but I think that the courage to say something is just that even sitting in a classroom at you know five six years old, if something didn't seem right, I had to question it, you know. And I and my I see that same trait in my daughter, in particular my youngest daughter, Michael. Um, and and you don't know where it comes from. You just know some spirits don't don't have the capacity to hold it in. They got to say it. Right. And so I was that kid. Each episode that I do on the podcast is based off of one word. Freedom. And the word for this one is freedom. Okay. That's why I keep saying it okay. over and over again. What does freedom mean to you? What does freedom mean to me? Mm -hmm. The absence of worrying about what you think about what I'm doing. <laughs> don't you worry about what I'm doing. <laughs> don't worry. Like, that is, that's, that's one reason, you know, for all people's complaints about this country. I truly, I truly can say that I love this republic for that reason. Because... At our core, you know, what the constitutional rights um, honor and enforce in terms of your bigger human rights is that I am here, I am a free being, so long as I'm not infringing or interrupting or hurting the lives of others, I should be free. You know, my grandfather was, was probably a libertarian. My grandmother was, you know, loyal to the Democratic Party, was loyal to the civil rights movement and the ideals of people like Dr. King, the SCLC, and the NOCP. My grandfather was a man who said, I have a human right to hunt, fish, and grow my own food. Um, I live within a capitalistic system, so I will use that system to the best of my ability to take care of myself as an individual and my family and these little grandbabies I'm raising. 
And yeah, that's about it. Stay out of my business. <laughs> the census came to, came to house, and I remember them asking, one to ask five questions, he answered two. He said, there are three children in this house, two are girls, these are their ages, one's a boy, this is his age. I'm the man, this is the wife, we stay here. They asked something else, he gave a short answer and slammed the door. That was it. Because to him, you know, you didn't have any business knowing how much was their median income. That's none of your business. If the census is account Americans, this is how many Americans right. is in this right. house. Right. Goodbye. And that's he, you know, all you need to know. Yeah, he got, you know, he'd get a fishing license and complain the entire fish license at times seven bucks. But he complained all the way there. He complained all the way to the Kmart to get it, complained all the way back because, you know, I didn't think about it then, but if my grandfather was he was born in nineteen twenty two, it wasn't getting fishing license and then you got hungry and you fished. Right. You know? So as I've gotten older, I've realized more and more how valuable freedom is because I've seen more of it stripped away and more of it taken away in many ways, you know, reasons for that are nefarious and reasons that are trying to just be nice to everybody. But we're shrinking our freedoms, I think, right. these days and times. Well, now that we're on the topic, talk to me about your thoughts on gun control. You caught a whole lot of crap for... Such is life. Right, right. But I'm, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of guns. I'm afraid of them. Yeah. But I was raised in a house with guns. Absolutely. Right? My Absolutely. dad just, my dad's a black man from the South. Yeah. He's 84. Yeah. You had to have a gun to protect your family. Ida B. Wells, um, famous educator. Um, yeah. and, 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 and journalist. Absolutely. Famous educator and journalist said that the Winchester rifle, which was the assault rifle of the day, because it was a rifle that would allow you to shoot multiple shots, should have, should have a place of high honor in every black household. When civil rights were granted, first time in 1865, the Emancipation Proclamation, which gave black men the right to vote. That's how progressive our leaders truly are. Frederick Douglass said that black men and all women should have the right to vote. He said that in 1865. We caught up about 100 years later. But at that point, the women's movement, suffrage movement, the abolitionist movement had been allies. At the moment the black man got the right to vote and that white women did not get the right to vote, what you saw was a split of that allyship. Then you saw the birth of the Daughters of the Confederacy. You saw a misshaping of history and the War of Northern Aggression. These are Confederate monuments get up because one of the allies got denied something first. Had this country followed the path and the advice of Frederick Douglass, everyone would have started on that fair, um, fair and level ground at that time, and those allies would have grown, all right? And everybody's rights would have been gotten then instead of 100 years later, because I was revoked to six, seven years later. But there was a voting that took place in South Carolina. The black men went in and voted on the behalf of the black community and surrounded that church, and what made it un unapproachable by the KKK were black women and rifles. So I encourage every black household in this country, because we've only been free as a people 55 years, sink that in. That means your parents were born in apartheid and something very worse, you know. My grandparents were, my parents actually were. You've only been free 55 years. There is no other ethnic group in the world. There's no other ethnic group in the world that's 55 years in the freedom that would be willing to say, if given the opportunity to own a firearm freely, no. They would. They wouldn't. If you ask Aborigines 100 years ago, they wouldn't have done it. If you ask Palestinians now, they won't do it. You know what I'm saying? So for me, and that's not me making any judgment, just, just saying that's the guys who jet's free. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, that's me saying I don't think it's in our best interest. And I think it's in African Americans' best interest to learn to grow a seed, to learn to hunt and kill your own protein to learn to use firearms and to have, have firearms in your house. And those firearms should be a hunting rifle, which is a bolt action rifle. 
which is interestingly enough, more powerful than the rifles you, they get, tell you to be scared of every day. I think you should have a semi-automatic rifle or what they call an assault weapon, which an assault's an action, not a weapon. I think you should have a shotgun for home defense, easiest gun to point at a door and shoot in case you have an intruder. You should have one revolver because they're easy to teach women and children how to shoot, easy to handle yourself, and you should have a semi-automatic pistol. And in my house, we have about 10. That's rapper Killer Mike. He says in his house, there's a gun for every room. And damn, he literally named all the firearms my daddy owned when I was growing up. Now, freedom can mean many things to different people. Before we said goodbye, Mike told me a thing or two about his views on another type of freedom. Before you buy the $100,000 car, Find a place that's stable and buy a piece of land. Buy a house, buy a piece of land. Put your mama there, put your cousin there, put your baby mama. Put someone there to steward that land because you never know what's going to happen. Get the rest of our conversation on financial freedom at speakeasywithdeneen.com. Just ahead, we dive into Killer Mike's song catalog. I'm Deneen Milner. Our show is a production of Georgia Public Broadcasting. On this episode of Speakeasy with Deneen, we're talking about freedom with Atlanta-based rapper Killer Mike. I asked him to revisit a couple of his songs that speak to what it means to be free. The first tract on the list is a report to the shareholders, Kill Your Masters. He told us this song harkens back to a conversation he had with activist Jane Elliott about the 2016 Democratic presidential primary. Choose the lesser of the evil people and the devil still gonna win. It could all be over tomorrow, kill our masters and start again. But we know we're all afraid, so we just simply cry and march again at the convenient. My heart broke apart when I seen the march mama's in. As I rap this verse right now, I got tears flowing down my chocolate chin. Told the truth and I've been punished for it. Told the truth and I've been punished for it. Must be a massive kiss because I've done it again. Ooh, Mike said uterus. They acting like Mike said you a bitch. I said that because there was a, I spoke at Morehouse here and Jane Elliott had said something to me. I was like, so I assumed she was, um, for those who don't know Jane Elliott's ghoul, you need to learn. But I, I remember speaking to her, assuming she was going to vote for Hillary Clinton. I was supporting Bernie Sanders. She was like, no, she was like, having a uterus doesn't qualify you to be president. Simply having a uterus doesn't. And, and, what, she, and what she was saying to me is that, you know, what I had known from the black side, just because you're black don't mean you're for me, you know, as a politician, because I'd only seen black politicians. And, I, and, I, and I, I quoted her in saying that. And a black writer here took that quote out of context and put it out into the world. And he knew what he was doing. You know, he apologized. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. You knew exactly what you was doing. Which is why I put a nigga in front of his big bitch nigga. They're acting like Mike said you a bitch. To every writer wrote and misquoted it. Mike said you a bitch, you a bitch, you a bitch. Had a nigga for the black writer started that sewer shit. I maneuver through manure like a slumdog millionaire. LP told me fuck them devils, Mike. We gonna be millionaires. <laughs> you know, people often call people sellouts because they do things for money. But to me, the sellout is when you know it's gratuitously right. They did it to Malcolm, they did it to Martin, they did it to Mecker, they did it to Dick Gregory. So it's not like it's something I don't understand, I didn't get, but that was learning for me. Let's play the encore. Turn around, see L and I smile. Hell coming and we got about a mile. Until it's over, I remain hostile. I remain hostile. I remain hostile. I remain hostile.
That's Killer Mike telling us about the backstory of his song, A Report to the Shareholders, Kill Your Masters. It's from Run the Jewels' RTJ3 album. And now, on to the second and final song that we'll explore with Killer Mike. It's called God in the Building, and it's from his album, I Pledge Allegiance to the Grind 2. The track starts with a beautiful chorus. Mike says church is important, but religion, on the other hand... I'm not against religion. I'm just not for. Whether or not we follow a religion, many of us turn to something bigger than ourselves to draw strength and balance. For Mike, this song is about his journey living in Atlanta and trying to get to a better place of being free. It's hot like hell in the South. It feel like we in the devil mouth in the South. So why boys trip because we iced out? Cool as a cucumber hopping out. God in the Building is about me talking myself through a very low and depressing time and me having to understand that because fame hadn't found me, because financial success hadn't found me, because my life had not gone in the way that I wanted to, whether it was through just bad cases of, you know, bad luck, you know, or the few shining moments of serendipity that brought me a smile of belief, I needed to encourage myself out of a depression and into a belief. And that's what that song did for me. The church ladies weep when they hear your man speak. They say they see God in me, but I'm in the streets. They ask me why I'm rapping. Tell me I'm called a priest. I smile. I kiss them on their honey brown cheeks. I tell them God bless them and they can serve for me. But you can never walk on water if you still feel the seat. If Jesus came back, mother, where you think he'd be? Probably in these streets with me. And what I didn't understand when I made I Pledge Allegiance to the Grind Part 2 um, was that a lot of people are there. And a lot of people weren't there then. A lot of people are there all the time. And God in the building is about when you first wake up in the morning, you first go to the bathroom, you first look in the mirror, there God is. You are the building. God dwells within you. that those church ladies had in community and congregation that you have within you because they've put it in you. It is DNA intertwined in the very thing that you are. The first church is you. Touch my chain, I bang, bang, bang. Leader of the prime time rap gang, man. We a squadron of God's amongst men. Greek heroes, we the new titans. God the spirit, God the physical manifestation of, God the theory that man has argued about for a thousand years lives within you. And you are old and do something from that. And you all you have to do is call it, believe it, manifest it, move like it. You're already free. Now move like it. That's it. Angel wings got a nigga fly higher. I hope my success burn you like hellfire. I hope seeing me with cars dressed fresh. Torment your ass like a man possessed. Be blessed. That's the awe-inspiring rapper, activist, and trailblazer, Killer Mike. A special thanks goes to the hardworking crew at the swag shop for letting us chat with him in the middle of a busy workday. For more from our interview, visit our website. 
And we want to hear from you. We talked on this episode about freedom. What does that word mean to you? You can reach us at speakeasywithdeneen.com. I'm Deneen Milner. Sean Powers produces the show, and Kiosha Howard is our editor. The theme music is by M. Fassall. Speakeasy with Deneen is a production of Georgia Public Broadcasting. You can subscribe to us for free at gpb.org slash podcasts and anywhere you get your podcasts. And until the next time on Speakeasy, be easy. Speakeasy.